The Lost Arctic Voyagers, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruth Golding. Charles Dickens' Two Hundredth Anniversary Collection, Volume Three. The Lost Arctic Voyagers, Part Two, from Household Words. We resume our subject of last week. The account of the sufferings of the shipwrecked men in Don Juan will rise into most minds as our topic presents itself. It is founded, so far as such a writer as Byron may choose to resort to facts in aid of what he knows intuitively, on several real cases. Bly's undecked boat navigation after the mutiny of the bounty, and the wrecks of the Centaur, the Peggy, the Pandora, the Juno, and the Thomas, had been, among other similar narratives, attentively read by the poet. In Bly's case, though the endurances of all on board were extreme, there was no movement towards the last resource, and this, though Bly in the memorable voyage which showed his knowledge of navigation to be as good as his temper was bad, which is very high praise, could only serve out at the best about an ounce of pork to each person, and was fain to weigh the allowance of bread against a pistol-bullet, and in the most urgent need could only administer wine or rum by the teaspoonful. Though the necessities of the party were so great that when a stray bird was caught its blood was poured into the mouths of three of the people who were nearest death, and, quote, the body with the entrails, beak, and feet was divided into eighteen shares, end quote. Though of a captured dolphin there was, Quote, issued about two ounces, including the offals to each person, end quote. and though the time came when, in Bly's words, quote, there was a visible alteration for the worse in many of the people which excited great apprehensions in me, extreme weakness, swelled legs, hollow and ghastly countenances, with an apparent debility of understanding, seemed to me the melancholy presages of approaching dissolution. End quote. The centaur, man of war, sprung a leak at sea in very heavy weather, was perceived after great labour to be fast settling down by the head, and was abandoned by the captain and eleven others in the pinnace. They were, quote, in a leaky boat with one of the gunnels stove in nearly the middle of the western ocean, without compass, quadrant, or sail, wanting greatcoat or cloak, all very thinly clothed in a gale of wind and with a great sea running. They had one biscuit divided into twelve morsels for breakfast and the same for dinner. The neck of a bottle broke off with the cork in it, served for a glass, and this filled with water was the allowance for twenty-four hours to each man. End quote. This misery was endured without any reference whatever to the last resource for fifteen days, at the expiration of which time they happily made land. Observe the captain's words at the height. Quote, Our sufferings were now as great as human strength could bear, but we were convinced that good spirits were a better support than great bodily strength. For on this day Thomas Matthews, quartermaster, perished from hunger and cold. On the day before he had complained of want of strength in his throat, as he expressed it, to swallow his morsel, and in the night grew delirious, and died without a groan. End quote. What were their reflections, that they could support life on the body? Quote, as it became next to certainty that we should all perish in the same manner in a day or two, it was somewhat comfortable to reflect that dying of hunger was not so dreadful as our imaginations had represented. End quote. The Pandora frigate was sent out to Otaheite to bring home for trial such of the mutineers of the bounty as could be found upon the island. In Endeavour Straits, on her homeward voyage, she struck upon a reef, was got off by great exertion, but had sustained such damage that she soon healed over and went down. One hundred and ten persons escaped in the boats, and entered on a long and dangerous voyage. 
the daily allowance to each was a musket-ball weight of bread and two small wine-glasses of water Quote, the heat of the sun and reflection of the sand became intolerable and the quantity of salt water swallowed by the men created the most parching thirst excruciating tortures were endured and one of the men went mad and died End quote. perhaps this body was devoured no quote, the people at length neglected weighing their slender allowance their mouths becoming so parched that few attempted to eat and what was not claimed was returned to the general stock End quote. they were a fine crew but not so fine as franklin's and in a state of high discipline only this one death occurred and all the rest were saved the juno a rotten and unseaworthy ship sailed from rangoon for madras with a cargo of teak wood she had been out three weeks and had already struck upon a sandbank and sprung a leak which the crew imperfectly stopped when she became a wreck in a tremendous storm the second mate and others including the captain's wife climbed into the mizzen top and made themselves fast to the rigging the second mate is the narrator of their distresses and opens them with this remarkable avowal Quote, we saw that we might remain on the wreck till carried off by famine the most frightful shape in which death could appear to us i confess it was my intention as well as that of the rest to prolong my existence by the only means that seemed likely to occur eating the flesh of any whose life might terminate before my own but this idea we did not communicate or even hint to each other until long afterwards except once that the gunner a roman catholic asked me if i thought there would be a sin in having recourse to such an expedient now it might reasonably be supposed with this beginning that the wreck of the juno furnishes some awful instances of the last resource of the eskimo stories not one but perhaps no unhappy creature died in this mizzen-top where the second mate was half a dozen at least died there and the body of one lascar getting entangled in the rigging so that the survivors in their great weakness could not for some time release it and throw it overboard which was their manner of disposing of the other bodies hung there for two or three days it is worthy of all attention that as the mate grew weaker the terrible phantom which had been in his mind at first as it might present itself to the mind of any other person not actually in the extremity imagined grew paler and more remote at first he felt sullen and irritable on the night of the fourth day he had a refreshing sleep dreamed of his father a country clergyman thought that he was administering the sacrament to him and drew the cup away when he stretched out his hand to take it he chewed canvas lead any substance he could find would have eaten his shoes early in his misery but that he wore none and yet he says and at an advanced stage of his story too quote, after all that i suffered i believe it fell short of the idea i had formed of what would probably be the natural consequence of such a situation as that to which we were reduced i had read or heard that no person could live without food beyond a few days and when several had elapsed i was astonished at my having existed so long and concluded that every succeeding day must be the last i expected as the agonies of death approached that we should be tearing the flesh from each other's bones later still he adds quote, i can give very little account of the rest of the time the sensation of hunger was lost in that of weakness and when i could get a supply of fresh water i was comparatively easy when land was at last descried he had become too indifferent to raise his head to look at it and continued lying in a dull and drowsy state much as adam the interpreter lay with franklin at his side the peggy was an american sloop sailing home from the azores to new york she encountered great distress of weather ran short of provision and at length had no food on board and no water quote, except about two gallons which remained dirty at the bottom of a cask end quote. 
the crew ate a cat they had on board the leather from the pumps their buttons and their shoes the candles and the oil then they went aft and down into the captain's cabin and said they wanted him to see lots fairly drawn who should be killed to feed the rest the captain refusing with horror they went forward again contrived to make the lot fall on a negro whom they had on board shot him fried a part of him for supper and pickled the rest with the exception of the head and fingers which they threw overboard the greediest man among them dying raving mad on the third day after this event they threw his body into the sea it would seem because they feared to derive a contagion of madness from it if they ate it nine days having elapsed in all since the negro's death and they being without food again they went below once more and repeated their proposal to the captain who lay weak and ill in his cot having been unable to endure the mere thought of touching the negro's remains that he should see lots fairly drawn as he had no security but that they would manage if he still refused that the lot should fall on him he consented it fell on a foremast man who was the favourite of the whole ship he was quite willing to die and chose the man who had shot the negro to be his executioner while he was yet living the cook made a fire in the galley but they resolved when all was ready for his death that the fire should be put out again and that the doomed foremast man should live until an hour before noon next day after which they went once more into the captain's cabin and begged him to read prayers with supplications that a sail might heave in sight before the appointed time a sail was seen at about eight o'clock next morning and they were taken off the wreck is there any circumstance in this case to separate it from the others already described and from the case of the lost arctic voyagers let the reader judge the ship was laden with wine and brandy the crew were incessantly drunk from the first hour of their calamities falling upon them they were not sober even at the moment when they proposed the drawing of lots they were with difficulty restrained from making themselves wildly intoxicated while the strange sail bore down to their rescue and the mate who should have been the exemplar and preserver of discipline was so drunk after all that he had no idea whatever of anything that had happened and was rolled into the boat which saved his life in the case of the thomas the surgeon bled the man to death on whom the lot fell and his remains were eaten ravenously the details of this shipwreck are not within our reach but we confidently assume the crew to have been of an inferior class the useful and accomplished sir john barrow remarking that it is but too well established quote, that men in extreme cases have destroyed each other for the sake of appeasing hunger end quote, instances the english ship the nautilus and the french ship the medusa let us look into the circumstances of these two shipwrecks the nautilus sloop of war bound for england with dispatches from the dardanelles struck one dark and stormy january night on a coral rock in the mediterranean and soon broke up a number of the crew got upon the rock which scarcely rose above the water and was less than four hundred yards long and not more than two hundred broad on the fourth day they having been in the meantime hailed by some of their comrades who had got into a small whale-boat which was hanging over the ship's quarter when she struck and also knowing that boat to have made for some fishermen not far off these shipwrecked people ate the body of a young man who had died some hours before notwithstanding that sir john barrow's words would rather imply that they killed some unfortunate person for the purpose now surely after what we have just seen of the extent of human endurance under similar circumstances we know this to be an exceptional and uncommon case it may likewise be argued that few of the people on the rock can have eaten of this fearful food for the survivors were fifty in number and were not taken off until the sixth day and the eating of no other body is mentioned though many persons died we come then to the wreck of the medusa 
of which there is a lengthened French account by two surviving members of the crew, which was very indifferently translated into English some five-and-thirty years ago. She sailed from France for Senegal in company with three other vessels, and had about two hundred and forty souls on board, including a number of soldiers. She got among shoals and stranded a fortnight after her departure from X. Rhodes. After scenes of tremendous confusion and dismay, the people at length took to the boats, and to a raft made of topmast yards and other stout spars strongly lashed together. One hundred and fifty mortals were crammed together on the raft, of whom only fifteen remained to be saved at the end of thirteen days. The raft has become the ship, and may always be understood to be meant when the wreck of the Medusa is in question. Upon this raft every conceivable and inconceivable horror possible under the circumstances took place. It was shamefully deserted by the boats, though the land was within fifteen leagues at that time, and it was so deep in the water that those who clung to it fore and aft were always immersed in the sea to their middles, and it was only out of the water amidships. It had a pole for a mast on which the togallant sail of the Medusa was hoisted. It rocked and rolled violently with every wave, so that even in the dense crowd it was impossible to stand without holding on. Within the first few hours people were washed off by dozens, flung themselves into the sea, were stifled in the press, and getting entangled among the spars rolled lifeless to and fro underfoot. There was a cask of wine upon it which was secretly broached by the soldiers and sailors, who drank themselves so mad that they resolved to cut the cords asunder and send the whole living freight to perdition. They were headed by, quote, an Asiatic and soldier in a colonial regiment, of a colossal stature, with short curled hair, an extremely large nose, an enormous mouth, a sallow complexion, and a hideous air, end quote him an officer cast into the sea, upon which his comrades made a charge at the officer, threw him into the sea, and on his being recovered by their opponents who launched a barrel to him, tried to cut out his eyes with a penknife. Hereupon an incessant and infernal combat was fought between the two parties, with sabres, knives, bayonets, nails, and teeth, until the rebels were thinned and cowed, and they were all ferociously wild together. On the third day they, quote, fell upon the dead bodies with which the raft was covered, and cut off pieces which some instantly devoured. Many did not touch them, almost all the officers were of this number. End quote. On the fourth, quote, we dressed some fish, they had fire on the raft, which we devoured with extreme avidity, but our hunger was so great, and our portion of fish so small, that we added to it some human flesh, which dressing rendered less disgusting. It was this which the officers touched for the first time. From this day we continued to use it, but we could not dress it any more, as we were entirely deprived of the means. End quote through the accidental extinction of their fire, and their having no materials to kindle another. Before the fourth night the raving mutineers rose again, and were cut down and thrown overboard, until only thirty people remained alive upon the raft. On the seventh day there were only twenty-seven, and twelve of these being spent and ill, were every one cast into the sea by the remainder, who then, in an access of repentance, threw the weapons away too, all but one sabre. After that, the soldiers and sailors were eager to devour a butterfly which was seen fluttering on the mast. After that, some of them began to tell the stories of their lives, and thus, with grim joking and raging thirst and reckless bathing among the sharks which had now begun to follow the raft, and general delirium and fever, they were picked up by a ship, to the number and after the term of exposure already mentioned. Are there any circumstances in this frightful case to account for its peculiar horrors? Again the reader shall judge. 
no discipline worthy of the name had been observed aboard the medusa from the minute of her weighing anchor the captain had inexplicably delegated his authority quote, to a man who did not belong to the staff he was an ex-officer of the marine who had just left an english prison where he had been for ten years End quote. this man held the ship's course against the protest of the officers who warned him what would come of it the work of the ship had been so ill done that even the common manoeuvres necessary to the saving of a boy who fell overboard had been bungled and the boy had been needlessly lost important signals had been received from one of the ships in company and neither answered nor reported to the captain the medusa had been on fire through negligence when she struck desertion of duty mean evasion and fierce recrimination wasted the precious moments Quote, it is probable that if one of the first officers had set the example order would have been restored but every one was left to himself End quote the most virtuous aspiration of which the soldiers were sensible was to fire upon their officers and failing that to tear their eyes out and rend them to pieces the historians compute that there were not in all upon the raft before the sick were thrown into the sea more than twenty men of decency education and purpose enough even to oppose the maniacs to crown all they described the soldiers as quote, wretches who were not worthy to wear the french uniform they were the scum of all countries the refuse of the prisons where they had been collected to make up the force when for the sake of health they had been made to bathe in the sea a ceremony from which some of them had the modesty to endeavour to excuse themselves the whole crew had had ocular demonstration that it was not upon their breasts these heroes wore the insignia of the exploits which had led to their serving the state in the ports of toulon brest or rochefort and is it with the scourged and branded sweepings of the galleys of france in their debased condition of eight-and-thirty years ago that we shall compare the flower of the trained adventurous spirit of the english navy raised by parry franklin richardson and back nearly three hundred years ago a celebrated case of famine occurred in the jacques a french ship homeward bound from brazil with forty-five persons on board of whom twenty-five were the ship's company she was a crazy old vessel fit for nothing but firewood and had been out four months and was still upon the weary seas far from land when her whole stock of provisions was exhausted the very maggots in the dust of the bread-room had been eaten up and the parrots and monkeys brought from brazil by the men on board had been killed and eaten when two of the men died their bodies were committed to the deep at least twenty days afterwards when they had had perpetual cold and stormy weather and were grown too weak to navigate the ship when they had eaten pieces of the dried skin of the wild hog and leather jackets and shoes and the horn plates of the ship lanterns and all the wax candles the gunner died his body likewise was committed to the deep they then began to hunt for mice so that it became a common thing on board to see skeleton men watching eagerly and silently at mouse-holes like cats they had no wine and no water nothing to drink but one little glass of cider each per day when they were come to this pass two more of the sailors died of hunger their bodies likewise were committed to the deep so long and doleful were these experiences on the barren sea that the people conceived the extraordinary idea that another deluge had happened and there was no land left yet this ship drifted to the coast of brittany and no last resource had ever been appealed to it is worth remarking that after they were saved the captain declared he had meant to kill somebody privately next day whosoever has been placed in circumstances of peril with companions will know the infatuated pleasure some imaginations take in enhancing them and all their remotest possible consequences after they are escaped from 
and will know what value to attach to this declaration in the reign of queen elizabeth a ship's master and fifteen men escaped from a wreck in an open boat which they weighed down very heavy and were at sea with no fresh water and nothing to eat but the floating seaweed seven days and nights Quote, we will all live or die together said the master on the third day when one of the men proposed to draw lots not who should become the last resource but who should be thrown overboard to lighten the boat on the fifth day that man and another died the rest were quote, very weak and praying for death end quote, but these bodies also were committed to the deep in the reign of george the third the wager man of war one of a squadron badly found and provided in all respects sailing from england for south america was wrecked on the coast of patagonia she was commanded by a brutal though bold captain and manned by a turbulent crew most of whom were exasperated to a readiness for all mutiny by having been pressed in the downs in the hour of their arrival at home from long and hard service when the ship struck they broke open the officers chests dressed themselves in the officers uniforms and got drunk in the old smollett manner about a hundred and fifty of them made their way ashore and divided into parties great distress was experienced from want of food and one of the boys quote, having picked up the liver of one of the drowned men whose carcass had been dashed to pieces against the rocks could be with difficulty withheld from making a meal of it end quote. one man in a quarrel on a spot which in remembrance of their sufferings there they called mount misery stabbed another mortally and left him dead on the ground though a third of the whole number were no more chiefly through want in eight or ten weeks and though they had in the meantime eaten a midshipman's dog and were now glad to feast on putrid morsels of seal that had been thrown away certain men came back to this mount misery expressly to give this body which throughout had remained untouched decent burial assigning their later misfortunes quote, to their having neglected this necessary tribute end quote. afterwards in an open boat navigation when rowers died at their oars of want and its attendant weakness and there was nothing to serve out but bits of rotten seal the starving crew went ashore to bury the bodies of their dead companions in the sand at such a condition did even these ill-nurtured ill-commanded ill-used men arrive without appealing to the last resource that they were so much emaciated quote, as hardly to have the shape of men end quote, while the captain's legs quote, resembled posts though his body appeared to be nothing but skin and bone end quote and he had fallen into that feeble state of intellect that he had positively forgotten his own name in the same reign an east indiaman bound from surah to mosha and jeddah in the dead sea took fire when two hundred leagues distant from the nearest land which was the coast of malabar the mate and ninety-five other people white brown and black found themselves in the longboat with this voyage before them and neither water nor provisions on board the account of the mate who conducted the boat day and night is quote, we were never hungry though our thirst was extreme on the seventh day our throats and tongues swelled to such a degree that we conveyed our meaning by signs sixteen died on that day and almost the whole people became silly and began to die laughing i earnestly petitioned god that i might continue in my senses to my end which he was pleased to grant i being the only person on the eighth day that preserved them twenty more died that day on the ninth i observed land which overcame my senses and i fell into a swoon with thankfulness of joy again no last resource and can the reader doubt that they would all have died without it in the same reign and within a few years of the same date the philip aubin bark of eighty tons bound from barbados to surinam 
broached to at sea and foundered the captain the mate and two seamen got clear of the wreck and into quote, a small boat twelve or thirteen feet long end quote. in accomplishing this escape they all but particularly the captain showed great coolness courage sense and resignation they took the captain's dog on board and picked up thirteen onions which floated out of the ship after she went down they had no water no mast sail or oars nothing but the boat what they wore and a knife the boat had sprung a leak which was stopped with a shirt they cut pieces of wood from the boat itself which they made into a mast they rigged the mast with strips of the shirt and they hoisted a pair of wide trousers for a sail the little boat being cut down almost to the water's edge they made a bulwark against the sea of their own backs the mate steered with a topmast he had pushed before him to the boat when he swam to it on the third day they killed the dog and drank his blood out of a hat on the fourth day the two men gave in saying they would rather die than toil on and one persisted in refusing to do his part in bailing the boat though the captain implored him on his knees but a very decided threat from the mate to steer him into the other world with the topmast by bringing it down upon his skull induced him to turn to again on the fifth day the mate exhorted the rest to cut a piece out of his thigh and quench their thirst but no one stirred he had eaten more of the dog than any of the rest and would seem from this wild proposal to have been the worse for it though he was quite steady again next day and derived relief as the captain did from turning a nail in his mouth and often sprinkling his head with salt water the captain first and last took only a few mouthfuls of the dog and one of the seamen only tasted it and the other would not touch it the onions they all thought of small advantage to them as engendering greater thirst on the eighth day the two seamen who had soon relapsed and become delirious and quite oblivious of their situation died within three hours of each other the captain and mate saw the island of tobago that evening but could not make it until late in the ensuing night the bodies were found in the boat unmutilated by the last resource in the same reign still and within three years of this disaster the american brig tyrrell sailed from new york for the island of antigua she was a miserable tub grossly unfit for sea and turned bodily over in a gale of wind five days after her departure seventeen people took to a boat nineteen feet and a half long and less than six feet and a half broad they had half a peck of white biscuit changed into salt dough by the sea-water and a peck of common ship biscuit they steered their course by the polar star soon after sunset on the ninth day the second mate and the carpenter died very peacefully Quote, all betook themselves to prayers and then after some little time stripped the bodies of their two unfortunate comrades and threw them overboard End quote. next night a man aged sixty-four who had been fifty years at sea died asking to the last for a drop of water next day two more died in perfect repose next night the gunner four more in the succeeding four-and-twenty hours five others followed in one day and all these bodies were quietly thrown overboard though with great difficulty at last for the survivors were now exceeding weak and not one had strength to pull an oar on the fourteenth or fifteenth morning when there were only three left alive and the body of the cabin boy newly dead was in the boat the chief mate quote, asked his two companions whether they thought they could eat any of the boy's flesh they signified their inclination to try whence the body being quite cold he cut a piece from the inside of its thigh a little above the knee part of this he gave to the captain and boatswain and reserved a small portion to himself but on attempting to swallow the flesh it was rejected by the stomachs of all and the body was therefore thrown overboard End quote yet that captain and that boatswain both died of famine in the night 
and another whole week elapsed before a schooner picked up the chief mate left alone in the boat with their unmolested bodies the dumb evidence of his story which bodies the crew of that schooner saw and buried in the deep only four years ago in the autumn of eighteen hundred and fifty a party of british missionaries were most indiscreetly sent out by a society to patagonia they were seven in number and all died near the coast as nothing but a miracle could have prevented their doing of starvation an exploring party under captain moorshead of her majesty's ship dido came upon their traces and found the remains of four of them lying by their two boats which they had hauled up for shelter captain gardiner their superintendent who had probably expired the last had kept a journal until the pencil had dropped from his dying hand they had buried three of their party like christian men and the rest had faded away in quiet resignation and without great suffering they were kind and helpful to one another to the last one of the common men just like adam with franklin was quote, cast down at the loss of his comrades and wandering in his mind end quote, before he passed away against this strong case in support of our general position we will faithfully set four opposite instances we have sought out the first is the case of the new horn dutch vessel which was burnt at sea and blew up with a great explosion upwards of two hundred years ago seventy-two people escaped in two boats the old dutch captain's narrative being rather obscure and as we believe scarcely traceable beyond a french translation it is not easy to understand how long they were at sea before the people fell into the state to which the ensuing description applies according to our calculation however they had not been shipwrecked many days we take the period to have been less than a week and they had seven or eight pounds of biscuit on board Quote, our misery daily increased and the rage of hunger urging us to extremities the people began to regard each other with ferocious looks consulting among themselves they secretly determined to devour the boys on board and after their bodies were consumed to throw lots who should next suffer death that the lives of the rest might be preserved the captain dissuading them from this with the utmost loathing and horror they reconsidered the matter and decided quote, that should we not get sight of land in three days the boys should be sacrificed end quote. on the last of the three days the land was made so whether any of them would have executed this intention can never be known the second case runs thus in the last year of the last century six men were induced to desert from the english artillery at st helena a deserter from any honest service is not a character from which to expect much and to go on board an american ship the only vessel then lying in those roads after they got on board in the dark they saw lights moving about on shore and fearful that they would be missed and taken went over the side with the connivance of the ship's people got into the whaleboat and made off purposing to be taken up again by and by when the ship was under way but they missed her and rowed and sailed about for sixteen days at the end of which their provisions were all consumed after chewing bamboo and gnawing leather and eating a dolphin one of them proposed when ten days more had run out that lots should be drawn which deserter should bleed himself to death to support life in the rest it was agreed to and done they could take very little of this food the third is the case of the nottingham galley trading from great britain to america which was wrecked on a rock called boone island off the coast of massachusetts about two days afterwards the narrative is not very clear in its details the cook died on the rock therefore writes the captain we laid him in a convenient place for the sea to carry him away none then proposed to eat his body though several afterwards acknowledged that they as well as myself had thoughts of it they were quote, tolerably well supplied with fresh water throughout end quote. 
but when they had been upon the rock about a fortnight and had eaten all their provisions the carpenter died and then the captain writes quote, we suffered the body to remain with us till morning when i desired those who were best able to remove it i crept out myself to see whether providence had yet sent us anything to satisfy our craving appetites returning before noon and observing that the dead body still remained i asked the men why they had not removed it to which they answered that all were not able i therefore fastened a rope to it and giving the utmost of my assistance we with some difficulty got it out of the tent but the fatigue and consideration of our misery together so overcame my spirits that being ready to faint i crept into the tent and was no sooner there than as the highest aggravation of distress the men began requesting me to give them the body of their lifeless comrade to eat the better to support their own existence the captain ultimately complied they became brutalized and ferocious but they suffered him to keep the remains on a high part of the rock and they were not consumed when relief arrived the fourth and last case is the wreck of the st lawrence bound from quebec for new york an ensign of foot bringing home dispatches relates how he went ashore on a desolate part of the coast of north america and how those who were saved from the wreck suffered great hardships both by land and sea and were thinned in their numbers by death and buried their dead all this time they had some provisions though they ran short but at length they were reduced to live upon weeds and tallow and melted snow the tallow being all gone they lived on weed and snow for three days and then the ensign came to this Quote, the time was now arrived when i thought it highly expedient to put the plan before mentioned casting lots who should be killed into execution but on feeling the pulse of my companions i found some of them rather averse to the proposal the desire of life still prevailed above every other sentiment notwithstanding the wretchedness of our condition and the impossibility of preserving it by any other method i thought it an extraordinary instance of infatuation that men should prefer the certainty of a lingering and miserable death to the distant chance of escaping one more immediate and less painful however on consulting with the mate what was to be done i found that although they objected to the proposal of casting lots for the victim yet all concurred in the necessity of some one being sacrificed for the preservation of the rest the only question was how it should be determined when by a kind of reasoning more agreeable to the dictates of self-love than justice it was agreed that as the captain was now so exceedingly reduced as to be evidently the first who would sink under our present complicated misery as he had been the person to whom we considered ourselves in some measure indebted for all our misfortunes and further as he had ever since our shipwreck been the most remiss in his exertions towards the general good he was undoubtedly the person who should be the first sacrificed the design of which the ensign writes with this remarkable coolness was not carried into execution by reason of their falling in with some indians but some of the party who were afterwards separated from the rest declared when they rejoined them that they had eaten of the remains of their deceased companions of this case it is to be noticed that the captain is alleged to have been a mere kidnapper sailing under false pretences and therefore not likely to have had by any means a choice crew that the greater part of them got drunk when the ship was in danger and that they had not a very sensitive associate in the ensign on his own highly disagreeable showing it appears to us that the influence of great privation upon the lower and least disciplined class of character is much more bewildering and maddening at sea than on shore the confined space the monotonous aspect of the waves the mournful winds the monotonous motion the dead uniformity of colour the abundance of water that cannot be drunk to quench the raging thirst which the ancient mariner perceived to be one of his torments these seemed to engender a diseased mind with greater quickness and of a worse sort 
the conviction on the part of the sufferers that they hear voices calling for them that they descry ships coming to their aid that they hear the firing of guns and see the flash that they can plunge into the waves without injury to fetch something or to meet somebody is not often paralleled among suffering travellers by land the mirage excepted a delusion of the desert which has its counterpart upon the sea not included under these heads we remember nothing of this sort experienced by bruce for instance or by mungo park least of all by franklin in the memorable book we have quoted our comparison of the records of the two kinds of trial leads us to believe that even men who might be in danger of the last resource at sea would be very likely to pine away by degrees and never come to it ashore in his published account of the ascent of mont blanc which is an excellent little book mr albert smith describes with very humorous fidelity that when he was urged on by the guides in a very drowsy state when he would have given the world to lie down and go to sleep for ever he was conscious of being greatly distressed by some difficult and altogether imaginary negotiations respecting a non-existent bedstead also by an impression that a familiar friend in london came up with the preposterous intelligence that the king of prussia objected to the parties advancing because it was his ground but these harmless vagaries are not the present question being commonly experienced under most circumstances where an effort to fix the attention or exert the body contends with a strong disposition to sleep we have been their sport thousands of times and have passed through a series of most inconsistent and absurd adventures while trying hard to follow a short dull story related by some eminent conversationalist after dinner no statement of cannibalism whether on the deep or the dry land is to be admitted suppositiously or inferentially or on any but the most direct and positive evidence no not even as occurring among savage people against whom it was in earlier times too often a pretence for cruelty and plunder mr prescott in his brilliant history of the conquest of mexico observes of a fact so astonishing as the existence of cannibalism among a people who had attained considerable advancement in the arts and graces of life that quote, they did not feed on human flesh merely to gratify a brutish appetite but in obedience to their religion a distinction he justly says worthy of notice end quote besides which it is to be remarked that many of these feeding practices rest on the authority of narrators who distinctly saw st james and the virgin mary fighting at the head of the troops of cortez and who possessed therefore to say the least an unusual range of vision it is curious to consider with our general impressions on the subject very often derived we have no doubt from robinson crusoe if the oaks of men's beliefs could be traced back to acorns how rarely the practice even among savages has been proved the word of a savage is not to be taken for it firstly because he is a liar secondly because he is a boaster thirdly because he often talks figuratively fourthly because he is given to a superstitious notion that when he tells you he has his enemy in his stomach you will logically give him credit for having his enemy's valour in his heart even the sight of cooked and dissevered human bodies among this or that tattooed tribe is not proof such appropriate offerings to their barbarous wide-mouthed goggle-eyed gods savages have been often seen and known to make and although it may usually be held as a rule that the fraternity of priests lay eager hands upon everything meant for the gods it is always possible that these offerings are an exception as at once investing the idols with an awful character and the priests with a touch of disinterestedness whereof their order may occasionally stand in need the imaginative people of the east in the palmy days of its romance not very much accustomed to the sea perhaps but certainly familiar by experience and tradition with the perils of the desert had no notion of the last resource among civilized human creatures 
in the whole wild circle of the arabian nights it is reserved for ghouls gigantic blacks with one eye monsters like towers of enormous bulk and dreadful aspect and unclean animals lurking on the seashore that puffed and blew their way into caves where the dead were interred even for sinbad the sailor buried alive the story-teller found it easier to provide some natural sustenance in the shape of so many loaves of bread and so much water let down into the pit with each of the other people buried alive after him whom he killed with a bone for he was not nice than to invent this dismal expedient we are brought back to the position almost embodied in the words of sir john richardson towards the close of the former chapter in weighing the probabilities and improbabilities of the last resource the foremost question is not the nature of the extremity but the nature of the men we submit that the memory of the lost arctic voyagers is placed by reason and experience high above the taint of this so easily allowed connection and that the noble conduct and example of such men and of their own great leader himself under similar endurances belies it and outweighs by the weight of the whole universe the chatter of a gross handful of uncivilized people with a domesticity of blood and blubber utilitarianism will protest they are dead why care about this our reply shall be because they are dead therefore we care about this because they served their country well and deserved well of her and can ask no more on this earth for her justice or her loving-kindness give them both full measure pressed down running over because no franklin can come back to write the honest story of their woes and resignation read it tenderly and truly in the book he has left us because they lie scattered on those wastes of snow and are as defenceless against the remembrance of coming generations as against the elements into which they are resolving and the winter winds that alone can waft them home now impalpable air therefore cherish them gently even in the breasts of children therefore teach no one to shudder without reason at the history of their end therefore confide with their own firmness in their fortitude their lofty sense of duty their courage and their religion End of the Lost Arctic Voyagers, Part 2